Hey, welcome to Mosaic. I know you've been greeted, and uh, I just, I just gotta say, I love, um, I love God. Uh, I do. I, I, uh, I love Him, and uh, I know it. It just feels more um, real and dynamic and less static when I'm, I'm with a body of a group of people who can just come and no matter where they are in their journeys or in their faith or maybe their own renaissance, if that makes sense, of entering back into certain things that uh, we can come here and be together, not judging one another, but just simply coming at the feet of Jesus and worshiping. And in that way, I, I got to say I feel deeply loved uh, by by this, this, this uh, community. So it's good to be with you. <clears throat> I know a lot of people have uh, kind of gone through this hmm, holiday season. And it's, if, I don't know, for some, it's probably like, wow, it went really fast. It was all compact Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then the New Year's. And uh, for a lot of people, um, they've told me, at least personally, have shared with me that they're kind of relieved it's over. You know, like, it's all okay now, like... Uh, because, you know, sometimes holidays and certain seasons are just really tough. There's, a, there's kind of a, a brokenness that happens um, when there's so much cheer and glow and happiness. Uh, at the same time, there's also this thing called an emotional drop-off. Uh, there's a lot of research on this, the, the holiday blues, because the glow and, and the joy and the endless jingles are, are constant, and it does feel brighter uh, when everyone is being generous, and, and so there's almost like it's, oh, man, we've got we to get back into reality. But regardless of where you all are at on that, um, I think that what I've been doing during kind of the season has been listening to a lot of music, and as, especially as I stepped into uh, 2020, and I, I went to Spotify, and I want to... Um, and, 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 you know, what they do is it's really an incredible search engine. They, they begin to lump all the songs that get played the most, and then they categorize the ones that are trending, and I know it's a little blurry, that's my fault here, but I took this uh, print, you know, off my laptop, and, and I, I love some of these. They're, they're, they're really hilarious. Uh, during the, kind of this holiday season and post the, the New Year's where there's an emotional drop-off after New, Year, New Year's Day, but that's more like a hangover, that's a different story. Um, there's this mood booster thing over here on the left, right? Like, I'm just trying to figure this out, but you know, I need a mood boost. It's like Jamba Juice or something. Give me some, some, some mood boost in my day. Um, I don't know what pollen is, but I just, I don't even want to go there, nor cleaning kit. That, that, that freaks me out. But, but the one that really kind of, uh, I love the one in the shower, that, that, that's even more weird. Um, but life sucks to the right. I mean, that language, that life just sucks. The season sucks. Going back into my life sucks. That whole feel of, Gosh, it just feels so temporary. All of this stuff just feels temporary. It doesn't feel real or relevant. And my neighbor asked me this, uh, or at least we had this conversation about how he, he just doesn't feel like he can get into the whole God, Christianity thing because it seems like it's all about past events, this Christmas story, the spirit of Christmas, the incarnation of God, while incredibly attractive and fascinating to him, it just feels like it's all about the past. Not about the present. 
And he says, I, I get, John, that Jesus offers this eternal life, that whoever believes in him won't perish. That's, who, who doesn't want that? But then he reads on, he hears this, like, reality of there's this eternal place I go to, and he says, it just feels like this afterglow, this future place, not, not relevant for what I'm experiencing today as a human being here right now. His objections isn't to really much about the, the Christian faith as, as much as it is about this, this concept of eternal life, eternal life, because it doesn't feel relevant or real today. When he says to me, you know, my, my family's struggling right now. And there's just this emotional, maybe mental unhealthiness with certain members, and I, I can't overcome that right now. So it just doesn't feel relevant. And I don't know how you would actually answer that question if you were with me in that, that moment, in that conversation, but uh, I, I absolutely do believe that eternal living, eternal life is about today. And in fact, that is why I became a Christian. <laughs> Because yes, it's about the past and for sure about the future. Thank God there is a future we can aim for and be a part of. But that its relevancy would make absolutely no sense if it wasn't a part of today for any of us. And so you really just kind of end the whole conversation with eternal life. Kind of like this, really? That was the sense I had out of the whole conversation with him. And I know it isn't relevant today because of a prayer that Jesus prays. Because when Jesus offers this eternal life, he doesn't offer it just in some past or future tense. He offers it in the present. And, and the way he defines it is unique. And so I want to look at this prayer with you. You learn a lot about a person by the way they pray for themselves and for others. And so in John 17, I want to take it kind of in two movements. We won't go through all of it. I encourage you to Reread it and, and let it bless you throughout the week. But in John 17, he, he defines what is eternal life. And then he kind of says how we know. How we know we have it today. How we know we're, we're in it right now. So if you have a Bible, turn to John 17. I'm just going to pick up where he's, he's uh, expressing this in front of his disciples. He's already told them there's going to be some grief because he's about to go to the cross and experience the resurrection. He says, Father... The time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Meaning this is a, a thing he offers and can provide and have access to. Verse 3 says, now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God is eternal life. To know God. Now that word to know, when you look deeply into the context, it's actually kind of in this present reality sense when he gives it, but it comes from this Greek word, gnosko. It means to know, not just in fact, but, and not just perceiving, but through firsthand experience. That's what this word to know is. And it has this ongoing sense of knowing. Uh, there's no ending point, so to speak, to knowing. 
It's this feel of tasting and experiencing something. In the Old Testament, it would be translated with the sense of like Jacob knew Rachel or that sense in which a man and a woman are coming together in that incredible relationship, that union together. It's that intimate. When you get into the New Testament, Paul talks about it as this idea of of knowing Christ and his sufferings. He wants to be so interconnected with God through Jesus that he can actually experience and understand the burden, the pain, and the hope found in him. It's a very connected, intimate word to know God, to taste him. This is why Bonhoeffer says, not hero worship, but intimacy with Christ. The most difficult part about following or believing in God is when you strip away some of the layers and you just go and you, you engage him at an intimate level. Tasting him is, is pretty significant. Uh, it, it just imagine that you... Um, were invited to a party. It's a classy party. In fact, this is the party of parties. And what they tell you is that the food is going to be extraordinary. Like the best tri-tip, like the best cheese. It's like, I mean, just, and you know this is going to be incredible. So all they ask you is that you have to bring a beverage to share. That's all they ask to match this incredible gourmet crazy, amazing meal. So, you're like me. You go to the place where they sell the best wine. I mean, if you want to go get wine, this is where you go. I'll show you where you go. <laughs> wow, 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 what? Shh, shh. It's Trader Joe's. This is my go-to. This is my pathway. Success at Trader Joe's. And you go to what we call two... Buck Chuck, every bottle of wine on this aisle, it's $1.99, right? And it's got, you know, it's dates really far back, 2018, right? <laughs> 2017. So I, you know, you're like me, you go, okay, I'm set. You walk into this party. I mean, it is, it is elaborate. I mean, they got the live band going, it's got, you can see it's catered. You walk in, they take your jacket. You say, they say, hey, please put your beverage, your gift, on this table. You put that beverage on that table, this $2 bottle of wine, and you open it because you think it's the best wine. I, I, I open it and I drink it, that kind of thing. And then over to the right is a server with gloves on. And, and he is hovering over three bottles of wine that look like that. And on the label, it says 1943. And he says, would you like to try some? I'm like, of course I want to try some. So I tried some. And I taste it. And it is so good. And then I can't really go back <laughs> to my 199 model of wine anymore. I almost, you almost kind of have to go, uh, but you don't know what it's really like until you what? You taste it. 
And everything else, suddenly, the moment you are experiencing or tasting this incredible wine, you can know everything about it, man. You can know all the horticulture. You can know the fermenting of grapes and the harvesting of grapes and, and all the supply chain that goes into bottling wine. But unless you taste that wine and gone through the process of having get, gotten it there but actually tasting it, you don't know wine. And everything else, it's just shades or just watered down. It's just, uh, just morsels of what it really is supposed to be like. And so when, when Jesus is praying to the Father and he's saying, gosh, I just, this is eternal life to, to know, to taste, to experience the fullness of who you are. That's what that's like. That's what eternal life is. It's today. But what aspect of God? Is it a character, a characteristic? Is it... What, 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 what ex- explicitly is it about God that we are to experience? And, and Jesus goes on in this prayer in verse 4. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, this is in front of his disciples. I just, I just gosh, I wish I could hear him say that. Um, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This word glory and modify, glorify, is, is used almost a dozen times. And whenever you read in the, in the Bible or in the scriptures, uh, a word that repeats itself over and over and over again, it's probably pretty important. And, and the word glory here, just as kind of a, a, a maybe a, a really big snapshot, because we could spend a lot of days on just the word glory, really it, it is about God as beautiful. His beauty, connected to this idea of holiness, this perfect being. That beauty is, is somehow making that known and capable for us to know. Beauty, he's complete beauty. But when he says to glorify, it has this really unique sense. And when I think of glorify, and, and I confess that I've sometimes probably looked at this in incorrectly, where I've said, well, I need to serve, and in my service, I need to glorify God, as if somehow my service makes him more. But God is glory. He can't be more beautiful. He is beauty. So what does glorify really mean? Well, I think it really means to magnify, to open up. He's saying, in and through my life, I have, you know, I glorify me, not because I need more glory. No, use and express who you are, what we are, to others. That's glorify me when he says that. So it's very selfless, actually. But the key to this is when he says at the very end of that verse 5, he says, now, the glory in your presence with the glory I had with you before what? The world began. What? what? <laughs> you know, and, and when we think about eternal life or eternity, we, we think about it in, in, in spatial time zones. We, we think about it as from the beginning, either I was born or when the world began. And so this is eternity. It starts here. And maybe it ends over here, right here, when I, when I pass or when I die or in some other time zone. But God is not defined by space and time. He's saying, give them, help them glorify, let them know through our lives what we were before space and time began. So what 
with God here. Because he will be that here. And he will be that over here. So what was God? Well, he was a loving relationship. I'll go to verse 24 for a second and just listen to me. We can't go through all of the prayer today, but let me, let me read 24 and 25. It says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, my glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. I do. I know who you are. Before all of this began, before all of my time on earth, I know you, and I've known you. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Right? God is a loving relationship where the Son is loving the Father and the Spirit is making all of that possible and communicating that and it's a, it's a constant loving relationship, a perfect relationship, glory. That's beautiful, right? And so what he's saying is that when you experience God, the way you have this eternal life is by experiencing him through his, what? His, his love, who he is as a relationship. God's, de- the depth of his love. Now, I think um, sometimes we ask, well, why, why does it have to even be like that? And I think he talks about this idea of certainty a little bit later in verse 6. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Right? Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. At some point, this enormous transfer of, of knowledge becomes heartfelt, real. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. That is so significant. That certainty piece, that it became real, that it moved from just beliefism and doctrinal statements and ideas, all important, all very important. Please, please don't hear that I don't think that's important. Our intellectual capacity and our minds are God's gift to us. We should use them. But to sit in just intellectual understanding is not what he's referring to here when he says certainty. It's moving from this concept of believing a beliefism to experience and experiential kind of living where God is so imminent that he's so close that you know him that becomes real and certain it's kind of like when someone asks you hey how did you know she was the one I've been married 19 years I knew she was the one I put on an excel sheet Pros, 
cons. I said, how does this work? How does this work? Does this match? Oh, this doesn't match. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. It's not like the bachelorette or the bachelor. This doesn't work like that. You have to, you have to engage that person. You have to kind of know that person. You, you could analyze forever something like that. But until it becomes personal, until you've sat and talked and, and wept and cried and, and prayed and, 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 and understood brokenness and, and understood your failures, your, all your warts and all, all those things, that's when you know. This person is a life partner, a, a friend forever. That's when it becomes not just some analysis, which is fine. When it becomes real and certain and accepted and understood, where you know the same way, the exact same way, Eternal life cannot be bound by just an understanding of facts about God. It must be personal. And I think that's the stunning conclusion here, that eternal life, I think, is experiencing God. Jesus says is experiencing God relationally through a deep love revealed in our lives, in our hearts, in us today. I'm so excited for the next series. It's, it's just so important that we look at the heart if it's not birthing here, it doesn't become real here. It will not make sense externally in our circumstances. Well, if you're a little bit like me, you kind of like like to have proof, and you're you're kind of like, well, how do I know? How do I know this is real? Or how do I know that this is relevant today? How do I know that I'm in this eternal living then? If it is, in fact, Available, accessible, because God is available and he's inaccessible. How do I know it's, 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 it's here? And I, I think um, when you go to John and you read down in verse 13, he says, uh, I'm coming to you now. I, that must have been so, I mean, he's going to go to the cross, but can you just imagine that union to have been separated like that and then to oh, be back with the Father? Oof. I'm coming to you now, but I I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Right? That, that's that idea that if you capture, you go back to verse 13. He says, uh, I say these things so that they, they what? They're, they're listening to this. They're, they're there in that context. I say these things so that, that, that my joy, my what? Be experienced. My joy. Now, that's not John Chang's joy. That's not circumstantial joy. That's not a world's joy. That's not Disneyland joy. That's not a destination, vacation joy. This is a, his joy, Jesus' joy. The same experience and the joy that he has when he is loved by the Father and has had from every, from, from, for all eternity, has, has in every way been experienced. And he is saying that this 
It's the same joy that you experience when you're following after Jesus. We get to experience the same divine, almost, I'll just say super beautiful, out of this world, but in this world, joy. And what is joy? Joy is not emotions. Nothing wrong with emotions. I'm very emotional, as you can see. Very emotive. I should have been Italian. Just waving my hands all day. Can you imagine that? I'm being awesome. Um, so nothing wrong with emotions. Right? Anger, joy, sadness, fear. All these things are, are, are part of our lives. It's, 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 it, they're gifts from God. They, they signal to us when things are good and not so good. And, and we have to be careful about those things, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But joy is this, this constant state, this pervasive state of being content. That's joy. So joy can be in emotions. Joy can be in good scenarios and in bad ones. Joy can be in everything. When things aren't working out, you're not destroyed because you have this joy, because you've been experiencing this depth of love where you feel inadequate in certain areas in your life, whether it be maybe intellectually, spiritually, or physically. Because you, you deeply wanted someone to, to, to love you, like you, that kind of thing, and you, it didn't work out, and now you, you're not destroyed. doesn't mean you're not feeling sad or, or, or feel, have moments of emotions. Of course, that's normal. That's human. But that you have this joy in the midst of all that says, nothing can destroy me because my adequacy, my identity is not found in someone else or other external circumstances in my life that will never fill the voids or ever make me feel adequate. I grew up really poor. And um, that's partly because when my family immigrated over, we, we just had to start all over. And I uh, also did not learn English fast enough to keep up with other students. So English was not our first language. We were assimilating. My parents were starting over, even though they were very educated in Taiwan, and we were poor. I was sharing a bed with my brothers, with my brother and sister. Uh, you know, my parents uh, slept on a couch. We were in about 600 square feet of house. We, the cupboards were quite bare uh, most of the time, and we we were just poor. And that kind of experience, on top of me just feeling like I could never quite capture the English language fast enough so that by the time I was third grade, my parents were receiving letters that I was, in quotes, retarded. That was the language. And they were going to send me to a special camp where I, in my mental deficiency, could exist. So this trails with me my whole life. Poor, late bloomer, poor, late bloomer. And this creates a layer of what I call a mastery level of uh, perception management. You know what I'm talking about? Or I'm marketing myself, even though I feel like just inadequate constantly inside. And then a few years ago, not, well, yeah, a few years ago, this all creeps up in my life because I'm transitioning between roles and jobs and it's one of our most difficult Christmases. 
because I cannot buy gifts. I just can't. And, you know, dad, career, executive, whatever, should be able to do that. But I can't do that. And all these things from my childhood start to build back into my life. And it's not until I step inside this space where someone just kind of shakes me and says, dude, you're losing it. Get back to Christ. Get back to God. So with no money in my pocket, rather than run the rat race of anxiety and try to somehow make some more money so that I could feel like I was doing my job, I spent a couple weeks just with God. And it was there that I rekindled His grace is sufficient for me. His generosity, His love, His goodness, His glory, His beauty. So that Christmas, there were no gifts. There was Christ. And it was enough. It was a joy that no gift, no circumstance could ever, ever be taken away. If you're in this space trying to figure out how do you experience this joy, it starts with you and me being active. Eternal life isn't a passive thing. It's an engagement. That's where he's going with this. And if you love and you experience his love, you will experience this joy. So what do you want? That's what someone asked me. Maybe you're in a season where you are trying so desperately to manage perception and expectations. But you have no joy. Maybe you even meet those, but there's no joy in them. What drives them is fear and not love. What do you want? I pray you choose joy by coming back to the heart and asking God to meet you there and to sit in that space and experience and engage his love for you. Sometimes we treat God like he's this, and I'll show this picture real quick, where he's like a, a faucet, where we think, oh, because of our own past experiences, whether with family or friends or other people in our lives, you know, there's no such thing as true overflowing love it ends it doesn't it doesn't abound it doesn't have uh, what you mean uh, this overflowing where it never runs dry and so what you do is you treat god because of those bad experiences um and they are bad i just they're 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 not good they're hard right and you treat god like he's a faucet though you're like okay well there's no such thing as a god who loves us unconditionally overflowing a god who pursues me it's just too hard through christ it's too hard to believe that and so you treat him like there's a god up there with a faucet well there's some love today. Nope, there's no love today. I turn the faucet on, I turn it off. Maybe it's hot, maybe it's cold. Maybe he, maybe he's just like Santa Claus where he's got a naughty and nice list. So he, he heard me today, no he didn't. He gave something to me, no he didn't. He gave me that thing I really wanted that I really thought was going to make me complete. It, no, no he didn't. This is not the picture 
of a loving God. This is a picture of the God that we worship. This, what we call the table. And why we come to it and why we were commanded by Jesus to do this regularly, why Paul said, don't forsake this, is so that when you come, you know and you take that there is this reality of a love that doesn't end. And as the band comes forward, as they begin to lead us in worship, when you come forward and you take the, the bread that represents the body and uh, that was broken and dip it in that bowl, that cup uh, of juice that represents his blood, broken, shed so that you could be forgiven and are forgiven, that you might what? As you take that in, as you receive that in, would you leave here and worship or worship now and then, and then leave here with a sense of joy? Know that you are so deeply loved by God here. Because that... That's what he's offering. And I know that is a big thing because some of us in this room are trying to figure out how do we do that? Well, one, you come back next week so you can hear this amazing series on the heart. And two, right over here. Staff are going to be right here to walk you through all of that you are not alone and Christian living eternal living is meant to be done together because of Christ and so as I pray I, I just want to read the 15 verses we just got done looking over and I want to sit for about maybe just, just a few seconds and then when we start singing come <laughs> and be Jesus. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, if you do this with me for a second, you close your eyes, and I know that's hard for some of us. If you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine. Look, look in a place where you just, you're not distracted by, by me or by what's going on up here. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. And I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Quiet moment. Would you engage Jesus?